Welcome to Peace, Peace, Love, and and Soup. Bringing you significant soups along with culture, cooking, and conversation. Audio nourishment for both the heart and mind. With Brian Delaney and Tave Fashe Drake. After nourishment, shelter, and companionship, stories are the thing we need most in the world. Philip Pullman. Oh my God. Hi, Tave. Hi, Brian. Oh, it's fun to be back in the recording studio with you. Ditto. I miss seeing you every month. Brian, I see you every week. <laughs> We've just been focusing on behind the scenes work. Well, that's true. Well, let me clarify. I miss recording new shows with you each month. We really need to get interns. Mm. We need additional editors to be able to sustain this rate of, I'm going to just call them variety <laughs> shows that we make. We need to get us a team, Tave. Yeah, we need a team Brian, too. <laughs> uh, so we're trying something new for season two. Oh, that's a rhyme. Ooh. We'll be producing four shows this year, one for each quarter, spring, summer, fall, and winter. Yeah, that way we can spend more of our free time <laughs> on expanding our audience. So please help peace. us spread the peace, love, and soup yes. if you like what you're hearing. Tell a friend and be sure and like us on Facebook. And new for 2018, at Peace, Love, and Soup on Instagram. We did it. That said, let's tell them what to look forward to on this, our first episode of season two. This show, we're focusing on storytellers. We'll be talking with New York Times best-selling author, educator, and activist, Renee Watson. I can hardly wait. Native to Portland, Oregon, but now living in New York City, she writes realistic fiction and poetry centered around the lived experiences of black girls and women exploring themes of home, identity, and the intersections of race, class, and gender. And also on today's show, we spent an afternoon with ceramicist, storyteller, herbalist, and humanitarian Babawage Jakite. Originally from Mali, he's been living in Portland for many years with his wife and daughters. He talked about the importance of storytelling, how it's used to educate as well as entertain, and how this age-old tradition was handed down for generations in Africa. His eldest daughter, Penda, is also a storyteller, working in books, collage art, and documentary film. She'll be reading from her whimsical book, I Lost My Tooth in Africa. Oh, there's actually a soup recipe in the back of that book. But for this episode, Baba Wage teaches us how to make tigadigana, or West African peanut soup. A new one for me. You've never had it before? No. Well, peanuts are pounded into a paste. Good job. Thank you. And then combined with vegetables and liquid to make a stew consistency. It often contains meat or chicken, but I've had vegetarian versions too. Hmm. And either way, it's commonly served over rice, millet, or other starches, called mafe in Senegal and demoda in the Gambia, and it's found in many countries throughout Africa. Well, I'll just call it, wait, let me see if I can use a word other than delicious. Uh... Say in Bambara, akadide. Akadide. Yeah, akadide. Oh, I definitely don't know what that is, but it makes me think of Did You Know? Mm. And that segment, this episode, will be all about peanuts. We share some truly fascinating information. Like peanuts save lives, people. <laughs> Yet another humble, everyday food staple we've taken for granted, Tave. It's just downright shocking. Okay, Brian, let's talk peanut butter. Mm -hmm. Creamy or crunchy? Totally crunchy. Hey, me too. One report I came across said East Coasters prefer creamy peanut butter, while those of us on the West Coast are all about the crunchy. Gosh, there's so much I don't know. I'm ashamed as a soon-to-be quinquagenarian. What? A 50-year-old person. Actually, a person whose age is between 50 and 60. Go ahead, say it with me once. As a quinquagenarian. I'm afraid I'm going to say a bad word. As a quinquagenarian. That's perfect. I'm going to have to remember that for the next time I play Scrabble. I love Scrabble. I love Scrabble. Oh my God, especially my travel Scrabble. I'm on my third game board as we speak. I traveled throughout Senegal and Guinea-Bissau and the Gambia with a pal who had a travel Scrabble set made out of color forms. Color forms? Yeah, what? You know, like they would stick on and stick off. It was brilliant. No, I remember them, and I don't think they make them anymore. So. Maybe we'll have to make a board <laughs> like that for Peace, Love, and Soup. We'll get Team Tave right on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how we got on Scrabble, but we both love travel and words and challenging mm, our minds. True. We like learning and having fun with other people, especially mm. each other. So, of course, of course, it would make sense that we both love Scrabble. You know, and I'm now making a connection. So Scrabble is all about putting together a puzzle with individual letters, Mm -hmm. connecting words, say, just as you would storytelling. Yeah, that's right. Yes. 
then we take these individual stories that we record for each episode and then edit them together into a podcast. So really these podcasts are our version of storytelling. Does that make sense? Yes. And then we add music and that shared love and universal need for food, which is soup in our case. So really, if you think about it, what Mm -hmm. we're doing each episode is sitting down together at that communal table to share a bowl of, (sighs) I'm going to say, Scrabble soup. I love it. Scrabble soup. That's the perfect title to start off the new season and this year of storytelling. Perfect. Oh, I'm uh, glad you like it. I like how it all links up like that. I just love how this happens to us. <laughs> but I still want to play a game of Scrabble with you later. Done. We could all use more stories and more play in our lives. So, as they say in Bambara, Ankata. Well, whatever she said, and you're on. Let's go. Okay. All of the music in this episode is compliments of Kebu contributor and Portland musician Johnny Cool playing right now. Three, Enjoy. Two, one. We'll take trips to the moon when I get home. When I get home. Cause you ain't a special girl. That's right. That's right. We'd like to welcome to the show Renee Watson. She's the recipient of the Coretta Scott King Award and Newbery Honor, as well as a New York Times bestselling author. She's an activist, educator, and writer of children's books, novels for young adults, and poetry for all. It's a pleasure to have you join us on Peace, Love, and Soup, Renee. Hi. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. This is just really an honor to have you here. Yesterday was International Women's Day. How did you spend the day? I spent the day highlighting some of the women in my life who are helping to keep me afloat. So I am just starting a nonprofit called the I2 Arts Collective, and we're housed in the Langton Hughes Brownstone in Harlem. It's a group of women who really have been helping me get this off the ground. And so I spent a lot of time on social media yesterday. It's been our year anniversary. So I was just shouting them out. And thank you. And um, loving on them a little bit and thanking them for keeping me going. (laughs) Sometimes I get the attention, but it's a lot of people behind the scenes who are helping me to to make that work. Fantastic. What women have inspired you as both an individual and as an artist? So artistically, I'm inspired by Sanja Cisneros, Jacqueline Woodson, Rita Williams Garcia. Those are some Mm. authors that I admire and respect. In my personal life, I'm so fortunate that I'm the youngest of five, and my brother is the oldest. He's the only boy. I have a family of sisters who are just great role models. I'm just very fortunate that I didn't have to look too far to find strong, powerful, brilliant women. And are you the only writer in the family? I'm the only creative writer. Most of us work with young people in some capacity. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm the only one that's a published author. Did you have a favorite author growing up? Oh, let's see. I mostly read poetry. So when I look back at my childhood, I think about Gwendolyn Brooks, Maya Angelou, Lucille Clifton. Those were women that I read and just devoured their words. At what age did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Was there like a definitive moment or was it just something that was sort of simmering the whole time? It's interesting. I've been in love with words since I was a little girl from like seven years old. I used to write poetry a lot and 21-page stories and sharing them with my teachers and family. But I don't know that I really understood that a girl like me from Northeast Portland could actually become a published writer until I was much older, like early college, when I really started thinking like I could make a career out of my writing. I found my voice through writing in my journal and really used my journal as a place where I would ask questions and process what was going on in the world, kind of speak up in ways that I couldn't speak up in my real life. I remember having the bookmobile come around as a kid, and that was sort of a magical place and treat to hop on board and check out a couple books. It was public, unlike a journal, but at the same time, there was something very personal about it as well. Will you talk about the power of reading in the public library system? Oh, my goodness. I think there's just nothing greater than having this space where any type of person can come and check out a book. It's such a gift. You can open up whole worlds to people 
they have access to seeing themselves in books and see how they can become powerful in small ways to the characters that they're reading about. So, yeah, I'm a big advocate for public libraries and making sure young people frequent those spaces. You give lectures and talks at libraries. Yeah, to I speak to the kids <laughs> at the North Portland Library, and I applaud all the libraries who work tirelessly to bring in authors to come read to kids and do writing workshops with young people. I think that's really important. Agreed. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, I'm going to go speechless on you and probably (laughs) start crying. I had the honor of facilitating your reading that you did last Mm. year as part of Wordstock at the Portland Art Museum. And what struck me specifically was not just the rapt attention that the adults gave you, but that attention that the children gave you during the Mm -hmm. Q&A. It was you really saw them. You know, it's interesting. I've been working with young people since I was young. When I was a junior in high school, My English teacher would take me to her freshman class and have me do writing workshops with them. Um, My youth pastor would take me to middle school students to give some kind of motivational talk or share my poems. I started to be a mentor in my early 20s and have been working with young people in a professional way ever since. My first job was with the I Have a Dream Foundation, and it changed my world when I came to New York worked for organizations called Dream Yard and Community Word Project. So, yeah, I've worked with young people for at least 20 years. And are some of the kids you worked with years back, did they stick with writing or poetry? It's so exciting Mm. that some of the young people who were in my poetry workshop are now slam poets that are traveling around the nation and doing their thing and working on their one-woman show or things like that. It's so rewarding to see I love hearing this, the whole creative process and that stories are, you know, something that we can tell one another, but they can show up in so many different forms, right? It could be a song. Mm. It can be a slam poem. Renee, how do you define storytelling? What's a storyteller to you? A good storyteller can make the invisible visible. There's always stuff happening in the room and going on that we don't name and we don't talk about, but it's happening. And storytellers that I like to listen to or that I try to be, take that invisible stuff, the stuff that's not tangible, and make that something tangible with words. And that's the power of storytelling. We get to know people who maybe we think we're so unlike, and then we listen to them and we're like, oh, I relate to that person, or at least I can empathize with where they're coming from. And I think that's why storytelling is so powerful is because it can really bring people together and it can also validate your experiences. If you were like, yes, amen, I know that. And someone else is speaking my truth, that can be very impactful for a person. Well, in all your travels around the world, what is something that has inspired hope in you for our future? Oh, my goodness. So right before our last election, I was in Korea for an international poetry exchange program that I've been a part of through my work with Dream Yard, which is a nonprofit in the Bronx. And we have this poetry share that students from the Bronx, Korea, and students in Japan, they share poems, they ask each other questions, they're getting to know each other. And usually this is happening like via satellite. So we actually got to take our students from the Bronx to Korea. Wow. And we're all gathered and... This is these beautiful, powerful poems about, you know, their own identity, what they care about, what they want to stand up for, what they want to change in the world. And there was just this moment of stepping back and being like, you know, yes, the world is in good hands. Like, these are our future leaders and they're poets, they're artists, they're kids who literally are from different cultures and have come together through writing. And it was just so nice to see them genuinely asking each other questions about where are you from, Mm. who do you love, what are your traditions. I felt very hopeful about that, especially because, you know, when we came back to the States, we had an election and it was like, okay, great. We're going to need these young people to help make change. Brian and I both have goosebumps. (laughs) It's an amazing thing to hear you say that. It's very synchronicitous because our next episode that we're going to do is going to be all on teens. And we've been Mm -hmm. sort of referring to Generation Z as Generation Zeal. Mm -hmm. Yes, I like that. I was in Generation X and I hated that. I mean, I just think it's so crazy that we name generations in a negative way, right? You name something that's important. So why would you call a whole generation something that doesn't 
speak to who they can be and what they can become. So I love that you're doing that. Thank you. Yes. And with all of this, they are going to be very unaccepting of the way things have been going. And they speak out. They're active. They expect diversity. They expect goodwill. They expect change. And in your book, Piecing Me Together, the character Jade is a collage artist. And I'm wondering if you would talk about this way of taking different pieces of something and putting them together in such a way to show a truth. So I chose the medium of collage just to create this kind of extended metaphor through the book of things that people discard or that are just ordinary. Um, Jade is able to take those things and make beauty out of them. And I think it's a powerful thing to be able to literally make something out of chaos. And that these collages in the book are physical examples of how she's doing that with her own life. How can you take this sad moment, this argument, these good grades, this beautiful moment you've had with your best friend and make a full life out of that? Sometimes teenagers especially feel like whatever's happening in that moment is all that's ever going to happen. You know, you, mm-hmm. you break up with someone and it is the end of your world forever. You get in an argument with your parents, you can feel so devastated. But then are other moments, right? And mm-hmm. so just trying to help young people have some tools for coping with what's happening in their lives, personally and also nationally, what's going on. Collage just felt like a good medium. You can tear, you can cut, you can glue down, rearrange. And I think that's a good skill emotionally to be able to have. And I think uh, you can still uh, eat yeah. the paste now, too. I don't want to make a joke out of that, but didn't you do that as a, with collage yeah, art as a kid? And water, Sorry. I was a paste eater. <laughs> Sorry, Renee. I didn't eat a paste, but I like to smell the markers that would smell, mm-hmm. you know, grape or strawberry or whatever. <laughs> the cover for your book, too, is beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Brian Collier, he's amazing. He has several picture books, and I knew as soon as I finished the book, I was like, oh, I wonder if Brian Collier will do the cover for this, because I just knew that he would do right by Jade and by Portland. It's Mm -hmm. really hard to get Portland right on a book cover. I've had trouble before, just like, oh, this doesn't have the feel of Oregon. And I I knew that he could create it, and he did. I really loved the cover. I do, too. And I think just the whole visual aspect really speaks as a metaphor for all of us in this time. And if you don't see something out there representing your truth in the world, you can piece it together, right? And I think that also applies to food. I definitely think if we think about baking a cake and all the ingredients that stand alone, like no one's going to just eat spoonfuls of flour, but mixing that together with sugar and all the other ingredients does make a beautiful cake. And so I do think cooking, yeah, it can be a metaphor for life in that there are some horrible things alone and maybe even some too sweet things alone, but mixing that bitter and sweet can sometimes bring about a balance in your life. Mm-hmm. And there's that comfort aspect as well. I mean, I mm-hmm. notice that food, to some degree, it's very visceral in your writing. For example, in Piecing Me Together, when she goes to get JoJo's or when she's talking mm-hmm. about her mother's cooking. So I'm wondering, what role does food play in your writing? Do you consciously do this? I'm assuming you do. No, it's, it's a little subconscious, actually, just because it's so prevalent in my culture and my family. Mm-hmm. We gather around food for celebration, for grieving, for all of it, that it's an automatic thing to write about and include in my book. There's lots of scenes in the book where Jade and Maxine, her mentor, mm-hmm. through eating together, um, are able to work out some of their differences. So I think food brings people together. And cooking together is also a special thing, too. You know, teaching someone how to make something, sharing your recipes with them can bring bonding and deeper relationships. Uh, Renee, we're going to need to probably use a whole chunk of what you just said as a little plug for our whole show. This is exactly what we're trying to do here, bringing people around the table together. And it's one of the few ways we still get together in this culture Mm -hmm. where everyone's so disconnected is still around food and And in the past couple of episodes, instead of us making the soup for the month, we go to a person's home and cook it with them. And so actually this month, we went to a friend of Tave's. We went to Baba Wage Jakite's house, and we made Tigga Digga Na with him. And it was just a really fun experience to talk about storytelling with him Mm -hmm. from a traditional African sense, as well as making this peanut sauce. Uh, Have you ever had that soup, Tigga Digga Na? I haven't. I'm allergic to peanuts. Oh. Oh. 
I know. It cuts me out of so many really good things. Well, we learned in our Did You Know segment that if you were introduced to peanuts at a very young age, it might have cured you of your allergic reaction. That's what one study said. It was interesting. So now I don't need to ask you the question, crunchy or creamy, which do you like better? So. <laughs> But the biggie. The big question that's been on everybody's mind, Renee, <laughs> is do you like soup? I love soup. Yay! <laughs> ding, 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 ding. And what's your favorite soup? One of my favorite soups is curry. Jamaican curry. My father was Jamaican, and that culture is very much a part of my life, especially it shows up in the food that I eat. And so just this curry chicken soup with mm. big chunks of potato and onion, and you can put carrots in it, and you just simmer it all day. It's a very thick broth. It's so good. Mm. And sometimes, depending on who I'm cooking it for, I might add coconut milk just to give it a little sweetness. And what I like about this soup is we make it with the actual chicken wings. So you get these big chunks of wings in your soup. And those wings simmered all day in the curries. Yeah, oh. so the meat is just falling off the bone. I'm oh salivating. My God, totally. <laughs> well, with that said, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time today, Renee. And it was so no, lovely to course. talk to you. Thank you for taking time to talk with me. It's so good to talk to people in my hometown. Well, Thanks. Cortland misses you. Yeah. And can you tell our listeners okay. how to find out more about I2Arts as well as any other space that you'd like to send them to for your other stuff? Sure. So the website is i2arts.com, like T-O-O-2, I2arts. And that has all the information and history of behind what we're doing. And then my website um, is my name, ReneeWatson.net. And through there, besides my writing, you can find all the projects that I'm involved in. We're delighted that you're moving all about the world, spreading this wonderfulness, reading, writing, activism. Creating better adults. And living your truth. If you're ever here and you have time, we'd love to do some cooking with you. Yes, I would love that. All right. Well, thanks for being with us on Peace, Love, and Soup. Take care. And now a story by Babawage's daughter, Benda Jakite. Written when she was just 12 years old, the storybook was published shortly thereafter. Enjoy. I lost my tooth in Africa. Hi, my name is Amina. I live in Portland, Oregon. Today we are flying to Africa to visit my father's family in Bamako, Mali. Africa is very far from our home in Portland. It takes two days, three planes, and three different continents to get there. Right before landing in Mali, I discover I have a wiggly tooth. My dad says if you lose a tooth in Africa and put it under a gourd, you will get a chicken from the African Tooth Fairy. I really want to lose my tooth in Africa, so I tried tricks with my tongue to help it come out faster. But nothing happens. When we arrive, my aunts, uncles, and cousins are here to greet us. They all live together in one compound with Nna, my grandma. It's very hot here, and the ground is a beautiful sandy orange. Outside our compound, there are donkeys, goats, and lots of chickens. The rooster never stops crowing. I wiggle and wiggle my tooth, I can't wait to have my own chicken. Aunt Kaja has made my favorite dinner. It's rice and onion sauce with African eggplant and tiny noodles. We all eat together around one big bowl. Everyone eats with their right hand. Sometimes if you're lucky, you get a piece of meat. When I eat, I can feel my tooth moving, but it refuses to come out. By evening, the world begins to quiet down. The family is home and the neighbors come by to greet us. The stars shine brightly and the moon glows like a street lamp. Friends sit in groups in the courtyard, playing games, telling stories, and braiding hair. Sometimes Grandma Nna sings songs. As the sky darkens, I climb into my bamboo bed, and after a few stories from my dad, I drift off to sleep. I hope my tooth doesn't fall out at night. With the first golden rays of the sun, the noisy rooster begins to crow. Kokoriko! It's time to get up. The first thing we do every morning in Africa is greet Grandma Nna and receive blessings from her. She takes my hand and holds it gently as she begins a long list of benedictions. May you rise high with strength and knowledge. Amina, I respond, after each one. After breakfast, I run outside to brush my teeth at the papaya tree. That way, I can water the tree as I brush. Suddenly, there's a funny feeling in my mouth. My tongue instantly finds a gap where my tooth has been. 
I hope I haven't swallowed it. Where's my tooth? I look down. It's on the ground. I pick it up and run to show my parents. My mom is surprised. My dad helps me place it under a calabash gourd behind the bedroom window. I'm so proud. I lost my tooth in Africa. A shiny white tooth. Soon I will have a chicken of my very own. All morning I play Tigeretilong with my cousins, waiting for a chicken to come. But nothing happens. We eat lunch and take a short nap. Still no chicken. We take a walk by the little creek to check the gardens. Bananas are turning ripe and the manioc is growing tall. We huddle together to watch a busy weaver bird building its hanging nest in a palm tree. When we get home, it's already time to take our bucket baths. The day is almost finished, but no chicken has come. Finally, I go to take back my tooth. I feel sad. Maybe the African tooth fairy has forgotten. But right as I turn over the calabash, two chickens pop out. One rooster and one hen. I'm so happy I call to my mom and dad. They're very excited. Dad says, the rooster is more black than white. Mom says, the hen is more white than black. Right away, I take care of my chickens. I feed them and give them water. My mom and dad help me build a little house for them under the stairway that leads to Grandma and Na's roof. We make adobe bricks and stack them on top of one another. Then we find an old sheet of tin that we used as a roof. Early one morning, I open my chicken coop. There, I see them, white oval eggs in the nest on the dirt floor. I shout, shakily, shakily, eggs, eggs. Uncle Moribo says that means chicks will hatch in 21 days. I wonder if I will see them before I leave. When I help Aunt Sally with the meals, the chickens always cluster around my feet. I sneak handfuls of millet and rice for them. I like to peel the vegetables because I can feed the peelings to my chickens. When I finish with the vegetables, I smush the tomatoes with my hands for a good tasting sauce and cut squash and cabbage into big quarters so Aunt Sally can boil them. Later that day, my hen has laid more eggs. That makes me smile because I know my chickens are happy in our home. One evening, the hen is squawking. I run outside. The pheasant is trying to steal her eggs. I shoo it away. That pheasant is very crafty and very fast. I'll have to watch her carefully. When I go to sleep that night, I dream about little chicks hatching. I'm getting excited to see what they will look like. Finally, one morning, my dad tells me it's our last day in Africa. We have to go back to America. I slowly say goodbye to the things I will miss. Kambe, I say to the mango tree. Kambe, I say to the little creek. Kambe, I say to Africa. When the time comes to leave, I'm sad. I say goodbye to my African family and friends. Slowly, I walk to the chicken coop to say goodbye to my chickens. Then I see it. An egg is hatching. A tiny wet chick peeks out from a white egg. Shede, shede. I shout, chicks, chicks. Everyone comes to see. They all congratulate me. Just then, another egg hatches. I'm very happy, but I'm very sad too. I don't want to leave my chickens behind. Don't worry, Amina, says Uncle Madu. I'll take good care of them. When you come back, your chicks will be old enough to lay eggs for you. I smile so big you can see the empty space where my tooth is missing. And right away, I begin to count the days until we will come back to Africa. Along with being an author, Penda is also an artist, a filmmaker, as well as a clothing designer. For more information, go to pendajakite.com and pendawear.com, where a percentage of all sales go to educate young girls in Mali, West Africa. You're listening to Peace, Love, and Soup with Brian Delaney and Tabe Fashe Drake. Did you know that March is National Peanut Month? And not only that, but March 15th is National Peanut Lover's Day. Hmm. Nutritionally speaking, the peanut is a protein-packed food source, with more than 25% of it being pure protein. That's a higher percentage than eggs, milk, meat, or fish. Peanuts contain healthy minerals, antioxidants, and vitamins, and an early introduction of peanuts into one's diet can reduce the likelihood of peanut allergies. It's true. 
In a study recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine, researchers from Great Britain and the United States announced that early introduction of peanuts dramatically reduced the prevalence of peanut allergies. Did you know, just because the word nut is in their name, peanuts are not nuts. Peanuts are actually legumes. Edible seeds inside pods. Think soybeans, garbanzo beans, and our personal favorite, peas. peas. These tasty and popular little snacks grow underground, unlike walnuts, hazelnuts, and acorns, which grow on trees. Fun fact, along with peanuts, clover and licorice are in the leguminosa family. Leguminosa. Doesn't it sound like a Harry Potter curse? It does. Uh, I leguminosa you. I leguminosa you. Brian, did mm. you know there's a fear of having peanut butter stick to the roof of your mouth? What? And it's known as arachibutyrophobia. Wait, what? That's a thing? Mm-hmm. Well, Tavi, did you know that peanuts save lives? I, I did hear you say that earlier in the show. <laughs> well, I just wanted to tell you again, okay, just to make well, sure you were listening. Tell us more. Well, the United Nations and Doctors Without Borders uses Plumpy Nut, a high-nutrient peanut-based paste, as a therapeutic food to treat severe malnutrition in emergency situations in developing countries. Wow, that is a lot of information. Did you know Goober, a nickname for peanuts, comes from Nguba, the Congo or Kimbundo language word for peanut? Fun fact, my younger brother's nickname growing up was Goober or the Goob for short. <laughs> the Goob. Okay, that's cute. He was so happy to get away to college that none of his new friends would know his nickname until his wedding reception when I resurrected it in front of both his old and new friends in a little speech I gave. <laughs> And now, Brian, everybody in the world knows that your younger brother's name is the Goob. We like to think that the world is listening. <laughs> think big, isn't that what they always tell you? That's true. Anyway, back to did you know. Does the Goob know that George Washington Carver was known as the plant doctor and the grandfather of peanuts? I hope so. Though he did not invent peanut butter, he discovered many ways to use peanuts and innovative farming methods, including crop diversification and soil conservation along with making paper out of peanut shells. Interesting. Yeah. Did you know archaeologists discovered that peanuts native to South America have been around for thousands of years? South Americans have made peanut-inspired pottery some 3,500 years ago. Peanuts were grown as far north as Mexico when the Spaniards took this glorious groundnut back to Spain. And from there, traders and explorers spread them to Asia and Africa. Africans were the first to introduce them to North America, beginning in the 1700s. I am Baba Wage Jakite from Mali, West Africa, living in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to Peace, Love, and Soup. Bang, Canoe, and Isma. Hey, I'm going out tonight, so don't try to call me. Call me. I need to free my mind, so I'm about to party. We're here in the kitchen of Baba Wage Jakite. He's an educator, an herbalist, and perhaps most importantly, a storyteller. Thank you for inviting us into your home today for a little culture, cooking, and conversation. Initle Baba Wage. Hello, Baba Wage. Nice to meet you. Thank you. You're welcome. I am ready to show you how we make uh, Tigadagena. Traditionally, they will say if you want to make a Mandinka family happy, make Peanuts too. It's a very famous dish in West Africa, Mali, Senegal, Gambia, Sierra Leone, Guinea. All these are old Mandinka land. They were all one people. And so now we are separated by Western colonial political border, which unfortunately made a big impact, you know, 150 years of colonization was not a great thing. Tigadagena is just made with a local vegetable from the region. We grow a lot of peanut in Mali. And generally when we cook Tigadagena, it's served over rice or over grain, depending on where you go. But food, it's also an important reason of people to come together because once you bring people together and begin a dialogue the result is 
there is no more fear. You know that. That's not just Malian thing. That's very universal. That's why Brian and I started Peace, Love, and Soup in the first place. Absolutely, it can create peace between people. I grew up in a small village. We all sit together three times a day to eat around a big community bowl, and it's so much better than city style. City style. What do you mean by that? Where everybody put their food in their own bowl and eat and act like a Western. Uh, forgetting our culture and our tradition, that was the fear of my grandmother. During daytime, we help our grandparent in their fields. In the evening, we as children are rewarded with stories. You know, when you are so young, stories are so exciting because it's sort of like your first time to a movie theater. Share with us this centuries-old tradition of storytelling and maybe the philosophy of it. The true storytelling scene I have never seen like when I was growing up. My grandmother constantly said, "This is the beginning of education. Elders will sit and they'll be telling a story in the darkest moment of the night." When my grandmother tells stories, she takes it really seriously. It's almost like she's entering in a different zone of humanity. You can see it in her face. And I, I remember as a little boy, I would always take the perfect spot right across from her, and I will stare into her eyes as she talk about stars moving and um, the moon connecting with human, all interreacting as one thing: the earth, plant, animals, and humans. Everything is one. That oneness was repeated over and over and over in stories. So we learn metaphorically, animals actually are playing role of men, and we also, through my grandmother, see and hear a concern of a tree, giving a voice to an egg. Everything imaginable that you think have no voice had voices in the stories that my grandparents used to tell. And this is what you're also describing as your early education. That's what my grandmother meant. Our eyes needed to be open. In Mali or many places in Africa, in the old world, things are still said indirectly to help people. Process their own thinking and find their own answer to it, because it is within that metaphor, is a tool that is given to you at this point. If you talk about African folk tales, following the characters of animals such as rabbit, hyena, you learn what it means to be a clever person, a smart person, and what role a smart person plays. Stories are all about that to open young people's mind and eye into that, so their social life can be improved when they find themselves into one. Through my nonprofit tutoring program called Kofali, I worked with kids all my life, both in Mali and in the United States. I think what made me, you know, like storytelling is. Not just because I learn my family history through it, I learn Africa history, and then in the end, I am so curious about each one of us, interacting with each other, make us a better human. My storytelling is a little different because I do it for the purpose of dialogue, for others. To see their own importance, so storytelling is also finding our own missing puzzle with other people. Podcast being so popular now, it's about people telling stories, and, yeah. and it seems that in this day and age, people are very interested in hearing a modern version of storytelling. Yes, you know the modern version of storytelling helps. It does. I mean, I listen to radio occasionally, but I'm excited to hear. Other people saying something about their lives,、mm -hmm. but what makes mine specifically different is 
the presence, the physical presence with every being and grateful to the family in which I come from. My grandfather was a cook. I am not a cook. If you think you can't cook, you can still cook soup. That's something we say on the show a lot. Ah, okay. Even if you're not a cook, you can still cook soup. Yes. Okay. Well, getting into the ingredients of your delicious soup, I can smell this fresh ginger. Mm. Do you want to talk about the other things? We have eggplant, cabbage, whole okra, chopped onion, habanero, and the best part is garlic. And this is my little garlic thing. Note that this is a mortar and pestle. Yeah. And this needs to be crushed a lot. Generally, I just put this in my mouth and eat it. The more you crush garlic in your mouth, then suddenly that's where all the effects are present. What are the benefits of that? Garlic? Mm -hmm. From your herbalist background, what are the benefits? Good for lungs and liver and digestive system. One of my best recipes is raw garlic blend together with ginger and turmeric and add lime juice to it and drink it. Ooh, Brian, that sounds good for you because you love turmeric. Oh, you do? Yeah. So should I make a little the end of these? Oh, I'd love it. Are you adding to that, Baba Wage? This is uh, the uh, powder chicken broth herb box. That is mashing with the head of garlic. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful for substituting salt. And it has no MSG in it. I'm going to put a little pepper in there. Oh, maybe a quarter teaspoon. It smells really good. Mm-hmm. Smash this together very nicely. So you can see I put the pan in low flame. I'm going to put this much oil in there. Say three tablespoons. So my pan was in a low flame for a while. And I have a spice here. This is Sumbalamugu. This is from a tree in Mali called Nere tree. Sumbalamugu is known as the stinkiest spice, but had brought more people together as couple I have ever seen. (laughs) It's a love drug. It it is. I have a substitute for those of you who are not able to get (laughs) Sumbalamugu. You can substitute miso paste. So here I am. Back at your pot. I am sauteing onion with uh, tomato paste. And it's six ounces of tomato paste that you put right in there with that whole chopped onion and all of the garlic and bouillon. Look at it, how beautiful it looks. Mm -hmm. At this moment, roll your chopped chicken in there. And then we put in right now two tablespoon of grated ginger. Add a tablespoon and half of bouillon powder. Add a little bit of salt. Then all these are mixed together. And then at this point, I get to close it for five minutes. Yep, I'm going to leave it there. So the next thing will be a quart of chicken broth, and then after this, I'm going to fill the same quart box with water and add it to it. We let it boil a little before we add all the veggies. We use Chinese eggplant, so it's one of the long purple ones that cut up all the uniform circles. A whole green cabbage just wedged Mm -hmm. into about six or seven chunks. We have chopped spinach in there. So probably about, oh, maybe a pound of chopped spinach. And then when it cooked a little bit, 16 ounces. The all-important peanut butter, because that's what our soup is named after. Yes. I'm going to let it cook a little bit. So when the vegetables are almost ready, you know, the last Mm -hmm. five minutes, we add all the okra to it. At this point, Mm -hmm. we want habanero to cook, but we don't want it to pop open. When it's cooked, we will remove the habanero and put it on the side. So then we give the pleasure to those 
that don't like it and give the pleasure to those who want to nibble it with their food. And we want to make sure the stem doesn't pop out of it while it's cooking. I won't. <laughs> Could you tell our listeners how to find more information about your school? It's called Kofali. It's a tutoring program. It's not a school. Yes. And it is a nonprofit. Yes. It means gift exchange. This name came about when my first daughter was born and a friend of ours decided that they would do the naming ceremony in their village. And that was the beginning of it. Every year we go visit, I think there was maybe seven, eight students at the beginning, but with our support, they grew until two years ago, became 1,700 students, 20-something years of relationship. Every year we bring school materials to the village and we do fundraiser through the Kofale nonprofit that we're very sustainable with, that uh, is only supported by donors from the U.S. Through Kofale, even our students that are at the university level or high school level, mm -hmm. we still aid them by hiring math teacher mm -hmm. and also hiring a teacher that will assist them to help them accomplish their education faster. But this program was not only about children education. It was also to expose the West in general to Malian culture. And I spent years bringing a lot of people from Portland, and it was very successful until suddenly we started having a problem in Timbuktu area of Mali. And then the U.S. Embassy and the Peace Corps pulled themselves out. It's been... a terrible thing. Wow, last six, seven years, really. Uh, people are afraid to go in the country. Once the most gentle, the most friendly place in the world. It's really unfortunate. To learn more about us, you go to www.kofale.org. Kofalen is K-O and then dash F-A-L-E-N. Dot -E org. We're Portland-based organization here in the great Pacific Northwest. That's right. Ah, so you can see the little peanut oil surfacing. This is an indication that our sauce is ready to be eaten. You can feed probably 10 good people with this right mm -hmm. now. And how many bad people do you think you could feed? <laughs> You know, what food does is filter us. So there will not be a bad person around food, you know. So, <laughs> so anyhow, look at this beautiful thing. It's wow. done now. Clearly, you're a visual artist as well, because look at the impact of that soup. Yeah. Remember, Brian, everything is connected. Everything. Okay, you want to try it now? Yes, I do. How... All right, so it's now time for tasting. Tavi, you're first. Let's see. That's it. Wow. It tastes like Mali? Yes, it does. It tastes like West Africa. That so, is complex. And now we're going to find out what Brian Delaney thinks of this. Well, first off, for me, and Tave knows this, I'm not big into cream soups. Mm -hmm. So I like the alternative versions of cream soups. And this, it tastes very creamy from the mm -hmm. slowly cooked peanut butter. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And then the cooked eggplant is delicious. Mm. Well, the anteater kind of tastes it with his tongue, but Haina, if it's in the stomach, he says it's good. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us here to share in a wonderful history of Malian storytelling, as well as this wonderful soup. Yes, thank you, Baba Wage. To you too. So here are the ginger. Oh, that's right. You promised me a healthy cocktail. Here we go. So this is ginger and turmeric? Ginger, lime. Um, turmeric and honey. Mm, delicious. I love, uh, I love oh, this. this. Is, so this is the one that is basil, lime, and bitter melon. Wait, you need to start selling this. What is it going to be called? Baba Herbs. Listeners out there, you can get in touch with Baba Wage Jakite. Go to kofalin.org. But I also have babawage.wordpress.com to see my art. Many ways to get in touch with him. Oh, yeah. I am the rooster head in the sauce. What was that? <laughs>
in West Africa, if they say, oh, I'm like a rooster head in the sauce, it just means I'm visible. I'm visible. <laughs> it's a proverb. Oh, that's a cracker. Yeah. Iniche Kosobe, Kosobe, Kosobe. Iniche Inibaraji. Ifana Inibaraji. What she said. Iniche <laughs> Inibaraji. Uh, she said, thank you very, very, very much. And many blessings. And I said, thank you and many blessings to you too. You've been listening to Peace, Love, and Soup, audio nourishment for both the heart and mind with Tave Fashe Drake and Brian Delaney. In closing our show, we'd like to leave you with this quote. Perhaps the mission of an artist is to interpret beauty to people. The beauty within themselves. Langston Hughes. Join us next time for Season 2, Episode 2, Our Summer Show. We'll be celebrating the voices of today's youth with all their brightness and energy. Known as Generation Z, we've decided to call them Generation Zeal. Ooh, zeal. That's a good Scrabble word. 13 points, 26 if you hit a double word score. Or if you have a Z on the triple letter and then the Mm. whole thing on a double word score, then you could have 66 points. (gasps) The sign of the devil. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time we play that game. Oh, hashtag Scrabble Soup. Hashtag Generation Zeal. Don't let anybody say it was anyone else. It was us. Brian and Tave. Peace, love, and soup. See you next time, everyone. You let it hit that story again and again about this young brother from the city of Ray. Rooftop garden parties always help me maintain while my headphones pumping soul beats in my veins. When I be on a train, my brain be. Thanks again, Johnny Cool. Thanks, Johnny. This awesome song is called Lavender Lemonade. Check him out on SoundCloud. In the game is the aim. Now I'm making hits with my homie Dwayne. Free thought taking over, so I can't complain. Now I can't complain. Travel the world and live out your dreams from Portland. New Orleans, stand up like soldiers. Even NYC. Hey. Now we gon' take them to Tokyo, what? Mexico. Yeah. Fly me to Hawaii, hey. Brazil, all of Africa. When they get back, I'll get back to ya. For more information about today's show, along with artist links, photos, recipes, and more, visit us on our website. Like us on Facebook. Find us on SoundCloud. And follow us on Instagram. At Peace, Love, and Soup. Boom. Look at me now. Thank you for listening to Peace, Love, and Soup, folks.